Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. James Wilcoxon, chief resident at the University of Utah. James is from Omaha, completed college and medical school at the University of Nebraska, and he will be completing a fellowship in hand surgery at MCW in Milwaukee. James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I'd love to start by hearing kind of a broad overview about your program at the University of Utah. Sure. So we actually have kind of a unique program at Utah because we take both uh, independent and integrated residents. So I think that's a plus. You get the benefit of the experience from the general surgeons that are starting plastics and also the fresh faces and eagerness of the incoming integrated residents. So that's kind of unique. We take two integrated each year and currently take two independent each year. So um, we're really bolstering our ranks as far as the numbers of residents go. I think that overall we get a really well-rounded experience. There's nothing that we truly lack, but if I had to say, I'd say that uh, our strongest areas are probably in microsurgery and craniofacial. Can you give me a breakdown of the plastics experience that you get across the first three years? For our integrated residents, for the first three years, you do a little bit of general surgery, a little bit of ENT, some oculoplastics, burn surgery, and uh, orthopedic surgery. But we really are trying to push for more plastic surgery training during the first three years. And uh, I think this is a testament to our program and our faculty being responsive to our suggestions as residents. I know that when I went through my intern year five years ago, we did only three months of plastics, but now the interns are doing, I think, about six months of plastics. So they're getting a lot more plastics experience early on. Do you know how many months they are able to do in the second and third years? In the second and third years now, it's nine months of plastics, definitely way more than I was uh, able to get. And I think that's great to really get uh, our juniors into their plastics training early. And some of the other rotations that they're on are things like oculoplastics or research months or things that are still related to plastics. As a chief, I feel like you definitely have a lot of insight into how the program has evolved over the years. It sounds like there have been more plastics months included. Are there any other big changes that you've seen? Well, I can tell you one thing is that our uh, division has grown significantly. I think close to five new faculty have been added since I started. And I think that's just a testament to the number of cases that we have at Utah and to how well our division is doing that we're able to expand and keep exploring and growing as a program. And what are some of the different sites that you rotate through? At the main campus, we have three hospitals that are all connected to one another. There's the main university hospital, which is kind of where you would do most of the trauma or more like inpatient plastic surgery. Just up the hill from that, connected through a bunch of walkways, is the cancer hospital, the Huntsman Cancer Hospital. And so that's where we do a lot of reconstruction for cancer defects, breast reconstruction, things like that. 
and then also connected to the main hospital as primary children's hospital, which is where we get a lot of our craniofacial experience and pediatric training. Off-site, but not more than a mile away, is the Salt Lake VA. So we do rotate there for several months, usually about two months of the year in your senior years. Also not far away is a Shriners Children's Hospital, where we do some congenital hand and also things like microtia or burn reconstruction. And then lastly, we've got two satellite hospitals that do outpatient surgery only. It's the Farmington Surgical Center and the South Jordan Surgical Center, which basically expands our footprint throughout all of Salt Lake City. And we do a lot of cosmetic or outpatient hand sort of procedures in those locations. And you mentioned you do have the independent track, so that's two residents per year for a total of six independent. Do you have any fellows at your program? We do. Uh, Typically, there is a micro fellow and a craniofacial fellow. I can tell you from experience that there is more than enough craniofacial and microsurgery to go around that I don't think that it detracts from the experience as a resident. And also, actually, I've had some of my best cases when you get to just do the micro with the fellow and, you know, maybe you get to dissect out the flap while they're getting the arteries ready, the recipient site, and then you both go under the scope together. Uh, It's actually a really fun experience. We do now take a research fellow as well. And that's just started up over the past couple of years. And while we're still kind of expanding their role, it's nice to have someone who's dedicated full-time to research. So if you have a project that's kind of stalled out or you just need an extra set of eyes on, they can jump in and help with that. Is that research fellow someone who's completed residency It can be any stage during residency, but typically so far we've mostly had people that are applying to residency and want to bolster a resume or something like that. What are the research expectations like for residents? So specifically during your last three years on the integrated track or during the independent years, so the senior level residents, we basically ask that each resident submits an abstract to a meeting with the understanding that if you're submitting the abstract and it's accepted, you should follow through and finish the manuscript. But technically, we just require one abstract per year. This is pretty easy because we have a regional meeting, the Mountain West Society Plastic Surgery Meeting held every year at a ski resort at one of the several institutions in the Mountain West. And so basically, we all submit to that meeting and you get to go for free for you. It's covered by the department as far as travel and lodging. So it's really a great opportunity. Is there support for meetings outside of that if you have research accepted? So anytime you get a presentation, you are able to go to that meeting. We have, I think, $3,000 per year for travel and lodging per resident. So that can usually cover two to three meetings depending on how far away they are. The fives and sixes get to go to ASPS each year. And then typically, there's a few other meetings like ASRM or ASSH or any of the cosmetic meetings that different people will go to depending on their specific interests. And how would you improve your program? Well, I think that's a tough question. You know, for me, going into hand surgery, 
my answer would be, I'd like to have more hand surgery. But for people that are doing cosmetics, they say we need more rhinoplasties, you know? So I think it definitely depends on your specific interest. But overall, I guess one thing that I would have through my years like to have more time for was research and dedicated research time. We are a pretty clinically busy program. And because of that, again, the faculty have been very responsive to uh, what we've suggested. And now there are research months in your junior years, and then also an elective in your senior years that you can choose to do research. Or if you're someone who's more interested in private practice, you can go and shadow like at a community private cosmetic clinic or something like that. There's just a one month rotation in your chief year for the elective? Yep. There's a one month rotation in your chief year. And then there's one or two months, I, I can't recall exactly, of research in your junior years. And are there opportunities for global rotations or research or mission trips? Yeah. Typically, the chiefs get to go on these, but it's not unheard of for a fifth year to go. This year, one of our fifth year residents went. Dr. Rockwell goes to Ghana each year for one week and does a lot of general plastics reconstruction and hand surgery. And then the craniofacial team, Dr. Siddiqui, Dr. Gochiman, Dr. Johns, go to Guatemala each year and do a lot of cleft care, lips, palates, and things like that. Do you have dedicated cosmetic months or a resident clinic? How does that work? The entire structure of our program is a mentorship model uh, or an apprenticeship model. And so essentially each month you are assigned to one faculty member and you live their life for that month. So you go to their clinic, you go to their OR, the secretaries will forward any calls on their patients, concerns about complications or medication refills to you. And so you kind of just work one-on-one with that attending and cover that service. And so, as you can imagine, some attendings are very craniofacial heavy and some are very hand heavy. And of course, we have some cosmetic attendings as well. So it just sort of depends on who you're with. And so when you rotate with the cosmetic faculty, you get that experience. In addition to that, we have the chief cosmetic clinic. So starting, actually starting your fifth year, you can do Botox and filler, but then starting your sixth year, you can see your own patients in clinic and work them up on your own. You present them to a faculty member who basically signs off and then you do the case all by yourself. Faculty is available if there's any problem, but generally they're drinking coffee or somewhere else nearby and you get to do the case by yourself. And that's been a huge learning experience, both you know, on improving your surgical skills, but also just all the logistics that go into getting a patient scheduled for the OR, handling all the questions and potentially the complications. Do you have any exposure to gender affirmation surgery? Actually, one of our attendings, Dr. Corey Agarwal, probably is one of the most well-known top surgery surgeons for female to male transgender surgery. We do a huge volume of top surgery, both female to male and male male to female. We've more recently started up a bottom surgery clinic and dedicated OR day 
between Dr. Agarwal, Dr. Goodwin on our side and some of the urology faculty to start doing the bottom surgery. And we've now done dozens of vaginoplasties and maybe a handful of phalloplasties. So we're still building up that side. And then as far as facial feminization, we have Dr. Johns and Dr. Crombie are both very interested in doing those surgeries. And so I would say you get really a well-rounded gender-affirming surgery education at Utah. And is moonlighting possible? No, unfortunately not. I think that they discourage that just because they don't want the hours to get too high. And are there any particularly awesome perks you'd like to share about your program? Been waiting for this question. I think the biggest perk is just where it is. I mean, we live in such a great place if you're an outdoors type of person, whether it's skiing, mountain biking, camping, backpacking, fishing, any of that sort of stuff. I think that's the biggest perk. We do get kind of like a bonus for buying loops or whatever else you want to buy. And it actually is $750 your second year and then $750 your fourth, fifth, and sixth years. So you get it four times total. And I'll be honest with you, it's very fluid. So I bought my loops in my intern year and they just said, okay, well, we'll just take it out of the next year's <laughs> stash or whatever. So you can spend on whatever you want. I, I got loops my first year and that kind of used the second year and a little bit of the third year money. And then I bought a laptop for doing PowerPoints and research and stuff that used up a little bit of the rest of it. So that's a really good benefit. Anytime we're on call at the children's hospital, we kind of rack up this uh, funny money that you can spend at the children's hospital for food. It's just based on the number of hours you worked. And so I can't, I can't spend enough of it. I have piles of it. So there's like plenty of food money. Um, and at the university, you get a stipend as well. That's about $200 per quarter. So Maybe I don't eat enough. I don't know, but I can't spend enough of the money to use it. So I'd love to hear a bit more now about the program leadership. So your chair and your PD. Our chair is Jay Agarwal, and he primarily focuses on microsurgery, breast reconstruction, and hand surgery. Our program director is Fazi Siddiqui. He's over at the pediatric hospital doing mostly craniofacial and pediatric reconstruction. And then our associate program director is Sean Mendenhall, who is primarily a hand surgeon and very excited about hand surgery. So I think between those three, we get a pretty good variety of focus in our residency. And they're all super approachable, very reasonable people. So it's great. What are the relationships like amongst the residents? I think it's really a pretty tight-knit residency group. I think that part of it is, again, you know, being here with so many activities to do. You know, last weekend I went mountain biking with one of my co-residents. The weekend before that I went mountain biking with one of the attendings. I go skiing with everybody, camping, fishing. You know, we're always sharing stories and talking about, oh, you went up that canyon, I want to check it out, show me next time, you know, blah, blah, blah. We do a lot of hanging out out in the great outdoors. But it's not just that, you know, we grill out all the time. There's a whole group of us uh, that are interested in smoking brisket and different meats and 
every weekend we're talking about what's the latest thing that we grilled up or smoked. So, you know, I think it's a pretty good group. Vegans might not be the most, the <laughs> well, most into <laughs> I'm sure there's a vegan group too. It's just, I'm on the meat side of things. Now a little bit more about, you know, how residents choose to live. So do most residents own or rent? It's about 50-50 actually. I started out renting my intern year and then gave me enough time to look around. And then my wife and I ended up buying a house during their second year. I would say that Again, it's 50-50, and if you're going to do the integrated route, probably it makes sense to buy. Not everyone does, some still rent. And if you're going to be in the independent route, then just because you're here for fewer years, then it makes more sense to rent. And so you see both sides. Are most people living in houses or apartments? I would say the majority are in houses. And is it necessary to have a car? I would say yes, probably is necessary. Salt Lake is a pretty big city. And while there is a public transportation called tracks, that's kind of like an electric train that goes throughout the city. I think you would be hard pressed to get to all the satellite hospitals that you need to get to in a reasonable time. And are residents more single or married with kids or what's kind of the lay of the land there? I think that that's about 50-50 again. I got married during residency, so I started out on the single side and then moved over. And some folks come in married, and there are some of the chiefs that are graduating single this year. So I think you see it all over. And so you've already mentioned, you know, some of the things that you love about living there, mostly having to do with kind of like the outdoor activities. Are there any other aspects of living in Salt Lake in Utah that you like? You know, I think it's a pretty easy place to live. People are very nice. I'm sure that people say that everywhere, but it is really a very easy, not stressful, affordable place to live that everybody's really down to earth and easy to get along with. But for people that are interested in coming here for residency, I think, again, I would just stress if you're into the outdoors, this is the place for you. Um, that's about everything that I wanted to touch on today. Any final thoughts either about your program specifically or about the whole process of choosing a residency program? I guess I would just reiterate that I think Utah has a lot to offer. It's kind of a hidden gem. We have a really high clinical volume. We're covering a catchment area that is 10% of the landmass of the United States. So everything from the Canadian border down to almost Mexico, and then from California to Western Colorado. I've seen patients from all, all of this area. We're bringing in a lot of volume, and with that comes crazy trauma and also congenital deformities. And so I think we really get to see a little bit of everything, and there's not any one area that we're lacking. And if interested applicants want to find out more, how can they go about doing that? First and foremost, you can go to our website, which is just medicine.utah.edu slash surgery slash plastic surgery. That's a good place to get started. And you can kind of look at the current attendings, current residents, and, you know, a little background about our program. And then we have, you know, Instagram and whatnot, Utah Plastic Surgery. People can feel free to contact me uh, if they have questions about it as well. 
And my email would be james.wilcoxon at hsc.utah.edu. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I think you gave a lot of awesome information about your program, and I think it'll be really beneficial to anyone listening. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.